0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Binance Podcast. This week, uh, we have a very special episode for you. This is a fireside chat that I did with uh, Simon Taylor from 11FS at Money 2020 Europe about a couple of weeks ago in Amsterdam. And this fireside chat is predominantly to a non-crypto audience, so very much a traditional uh, finance, banking kind of an audience that uh, where we focused specifically on use cases for crypto, the future of fundraising on the blockchain, and who is Binance. So uh, I really hope you enjoyed this uh, conversation where I was able to talk a little bit more about Binance's journey, as well as what I see as the future for crypto and for blockchain innovation. I uh, hope you enjoyed the
1: show. Hey, anyway, how's it going? Hey, Simon, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. So, um, let's, let's just get right started, shall we? Um, sure. Remind everybody who Binance is. You guys are in a lot of countries, you do a lot of things, so let's just set the scene. Who's, who's Binance?
0: Yeah, so, so the origin of Binance is uh, we have a really, first of all, we have a really cool name. It's Binance, so like, it's not Binance, you know, <laughs> as, the, as, as some people pronounce it. So it's Binary Finance, that's the origin of our name. And, uh, and we are the world's biggest cryptocurrency exchange. Uh, the company was uh, launched in uh, the summer of 2017, so we're, we're not, we're barely two years old and, uh, and, and sort of uh, the business we have is um, we offer a, a global trading platform um, for users to uh, trade uh, a variety of uh, digital currencies.
1: And you're two years old, but you're the biggest, if not one of the top two crypto exchanges in the world, far out-ranking uh, the next nearest uh, sort of competitors. How did you grow so big so fast?
0: Yeah, um, the origin of uh, of Binance is that we did our ICO in July of 2017 and we raised $15 million through the sale of the Binance coin. And the origin of the Binance coin is that you can use it on our exchange and get discounts on your trading fees. Uh, and, and I think, um, and when we launched it, we launched ourselves as a crypto-only exchange because I think historically there's been a lot of exchanges that are around that basically dealt with fiat to crypto. But, um, but I think uh, sort of at that time, we felt like... Uh, there was a lot of ICOs that were coming out at that point. Um, at the same time, there was actually a general global interest coming in, in terms of um, not just in terms of the ownership of cryptocurrency, but actually in the trading of it. Mm-hmm. And I think we're able to capture the market that way, in that when you enter into the cryptocurrency world and leave sort of the fiat world, uh, what you realize is actually a much more frictionless um, ecosystem, where the assets can move more freely and cheaply. Uh, than they do um, in the fiat world.
1: Yeah, I wanted to talk about that because you guys deal in crypto to crypto, but there's a whole other economy here. You, Before we came on stage, you were talking about um, the, the kind of the internet economy that mm-hmm. is existing. It's almost alongside the real sort of financial economy that we know and with your Wall Street background. You're mm-hmm. obviously very familiar with that. So how would you describe this this new token economy? Like, how would you introduce that, that concept?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, um, I think we're... Entering a tokenized world. I think when Bitcoin first launched, uh, I think more than 10 years ago um, That was the first sort of cryptocurrency um, and and that has pretty much I think grow, have has grown more mainstream over the, Over the last few years, especially um, But I think what we've witnessed sort of through the uh, ethereum uh, blockchain enabled by the ERC 20 it has allowed the creation of the smart contract which is the next evolution of it and what that has allowed for at least one type of use case is basically raising capital on the blockchain, right? Yeah. You have projects that can sell their own utility tokens, that sell tokens that have a use case within that ecosystem, right? And one of, and for example, Binance Coin is one use case of that, is that you can use this token to get 50% off when you trade and you pay for it, right? Um, and, and I think, yes, there's a lot of whole discussions about what the the... The, what is it, the security token, user token, payment token, whatever, I think moving that conversation aside, um, we have more tokens, and that is something that did not exist in the world prior to sort of the ERC-20 chain, and and, and I think what that has allowed company to do is to basically using a different form of uh, fundraising, mm-hmm. right? Historically, you raised capital through fiat currencies, right? And then you raised it by selling equity or selling debt or selling, you know whatever types of derivatives in your business. Now there's this whole new way for you to raise capital. Uh, And and Binance, I think, is a good, uh, successful case study um, in it. And because when you can do that, you distribute your token out towards your community, right? And your community now is an owner in that business, right? They are a... And by engaging with that community, you can basically allow them to benefit from the growth of your business.
1: And how's that different from crowdfunding? So crowdfunding has been around for some while. Um, there's been you know people own stocks and shares in their favorite companies. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of there's some inefficiencies there potentially, or, or what? What's the what's the major difference?
0: Uh, the major difference is the the friction that exist within the fiat world and i think most of the people here deal in this i think like i mentioned before it's like 99 percent of the money in the world are still in fiat right Mm -hmm. and as you deal in the fiat world you basically you have all this technology all this brain power going in to basically trying to get rid of that friction Mm -hmm. whereas like if you enter into the crypto world you basically realize that it's fast Mm -hmm. and it's almost free right it's pretty cheap so so in terms of the movement of value on the blockchain that is i think that is key, right? So, so, so what that has allowed, I would say, um, the fundraising on the blockchain for people to do is that you can do that on a global basis. But people You're,
1: always say Bitcoin's really slow. Um, what do you say to that?
0: Uh, yes, that's why there are other chains, right? Like even, even for like ERC-20, which is sort of the more common chain that is being used by, uh, by, by companies to, uh, to, to, uh, to tokenize. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, uh, we, we would like to think, you know, Binance, we released our own Binance chain last year. Uh, Last month, and the speed—it's purely just for tokenizing mm-hmm. and for transacting and for sending uh, and for sending, uh, you know, tokens across the Binance chain. And I think for that, because we've taken away a lot of the other sort of features, mm-hmm. um, it's actually much faster and even cheaper.
1: So that not all blockchains are created equal, not all tokens are created equal, but we've seen um, a bit of a bear market in the last couple of years. You know, A year ago, two years ago, Bitcoin was in the mainstream press, it was everywhere. Um, uh, that's kind of gone away a little bit, but your business in that time has, has gone from strength to strength. What, how have you guys kind of bucked the trend there?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think as with any business, it goes through a boom-bust cycle. Uh, it goes, you know, it becomes bubbly and then it becomes depressing and then you come out of it, right? So for us, you know, we believe in the long term growth. We believe that the world is become, is, there is going to be more tokenization. So we basically just hunch down and continue to grow our business that way. Um, and, and I think, and from that, um, with actually less, and, and that's actually good for our business at least, there's less distractions. There's less uh, all the scammers and the fakers actually leaving because there's no money to be made here, so they move somewhere else. So, well, so, and
1: that's an interesting point because the, the headline narrative in the past sort of six months has really been about hacks, and it's been about security. So, what can people like Binance do to really protect users in, in that in that scenario?
0: Yeah, um, I, I think um, one of the um, I think one of the issues with uh, this space. Is basically uh, the users themselves or the institution themselves. There are no third-party uh, custody providers that take control it. So, not o- so from a user perspective, you have your control of your own assets. But at the same time, it's the first time in in many generations that humans actually control your own asset in your own back pocket, mm-hmm. or in your or, or on your phone, or on your or on your laptop, or on your ledger, or on your um, on your hardware. So, from that perspective, we have to learn how to protect our own assets. And I think that's a learning process.
1: And what are people using this stuff for on your exchange? Like when you look at the the world of crypto, is it still just all speculative activity? Are people just trading for the sake of trading? Or is there something deeper going on here?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think um, the use cases are developing. I think, you know, uh, as with any capital markets, there is speculation. And speculation is a big part of driving more... Um, more capital into the market, and driving more uh, interest, and driving more eyeballs. But I think outside of just sort of trading, um, we're witnessing two really neat trends that Binance itself is supporting. One is on charity. So if you go to binance.charity, you can actually see uh, we're bringing charitable donation and charitable use, use of that funds through the blockchain. Where the donor themselves can see exactly the movement of my money, the moment that I put in my BNB or put in my Bitcoin, the movement of that money through the blockchain ecosystem into the hands of the last recipient sort of the last mile on that and that hasn't really existed before um, because the money that you give has to get converted into the fiat currency of the home country and there's a lot of wastage along the way so uh, with blockchain you actually get rid of all that leakage where actually it's like dollar for dollar is ends up in the hands of the in, in, ends it up in the hands of the beneficiary, whether their children, because for example, we have this one uh, BNB, the Binance coin, uh, you can feed a child in Uganda's lunch for a month, sort of, and we're working with the local schools to develop that. And it's a really interesting use case because um, we're making the, the, the school, we're actually going to the schools in Uganda, uh, helping them to set up uh, hot wallets and cold wallets, mm-hmm. We're going then to help the suppliers to set up the wallets there so that they can actually receive the BNBs or the Bitcoins. And then we've launched a fiat exchange in Uganda so they can actually switch the BNB out into fiat and spend it.
1: Which is an amazing use case. But do you think at some point we're going to have to move away from you guys having to do that yourselves. Is it going to get easy enough for people to be able to pick up these tools? Because when you're new to Bitcoin, when you're new to crypto, it's all quite confusing. It's all pretty hard to use. Like, is that going to change?
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, the quick answer is yes. I think as with any technology, you have the early adopters, right? I mean, uh, and, and and basically, how do you evolve? For, and there's a lot of friction, mm-hmm. right, in terms of setting up your own setting up your own personal wallet, um, moving your funds from your personal wallet onto an exchange, mm-hmm. withdrawing it back to your wallet. And I think. Um, there is, there is an education process, but at the same time, um, we're also funding that. Like, for example, for Binance, we have Binance Labs, which is uh, our sort of, you know, investment arm, right? Mm-hmm. And we've tried to invest into, I would say, like cold wallets that, are, that you can own for less than $10, right? So I think by lowering some of these frictions, I think you can make it easy, because 'Cause for for users, right, you want something that's easy to use, right? That's why Apple is so awesome, right? That's why Google is so awesome, right? Mm-hmm. But but the thing is is that with with money, the easier it is the scale of safety and security mm. slides down on the other end. Right. So there's a balance that you have to meet somewhere in the middle.
1: Well, that's it. Um, there's always been that trade-off between usability and sort of security. Uh-huh. Um, but the other one that people talk about is blockchain is really inefficient because it burns loads of uh, energy and CO- and creates a lot of CO2. Uh-huh. So, you know, are we really, in a, as we look at a world that's increasingly conscious about climate change, you know, can blockchain be a reali- realistic technology?
0: Uh, yes, because it gets rid of paper.
1: <laughs> okay, so C- uh, there's a lot of CO2 from paper. That's, oh. a, that's a pretty straightforward one. Um, but what about um, sort of regulation? So, uh-huh. you know, there are a whole bunch of challenges around anti-money laundering, preventing uh, counter-terrorist financing. You know, what role can uh, exchanges and wallet providers really play to ensure that, uh, you know, this new world of finance is as safe, if not safer, than the old world of finance?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, one of the key things that, um, so for, for example, finance for Binance, we've been... Uh, I, I personally, since I've joined, been engaging with um, various regulators in different jurisdictions. To basically, I um, spend a lot of time educating them on what is blockchain and what is a distributed uh, ledger and then what are the tools that are available to help them to do their job um, uh, and, and, and how is that different from the traditional banking space, right? And how some of these rules uh, are different but the effect it actually becomes more effective. For example, um, you know, when money moves from one bank to another, uh, from one country's bank to another country's bank, that money trail is, is essentially lost, or is gone, right? That's why you can one country can have the most strict banking law, but if that money moves to a country with less strict banking laws, then there is less uh, enforcement action or less ability to trace down. But that's very different on blockchain. When Bitcoin moves, there is a public address, and that address is public, and you can track that, right? Uh, for example, for Binance, we work, and there are... Uh, Companies that did not exist I would say two or three years ago when the general perception on Bitcoin is that you know Only drug dealers and money launderers use it um, is that very few people use very uh, The addresses that all the historical addresses and future addresses when Bitcoin get transferred are all recorded and because it's recorded There's a huge database uh, that's available to basically track whether these are who are the end beneficiaries or the and own owners of it and, like, for example, for an exchange, we work with um, companies like Chain Analysis, Elliptic, and CypherTrace who actually work with law enforcement to keep that database so that, um, so that any time we have uh, money or assets, cryptocurrency, coming into our ecosystem or leaving our ecosystem that's going into a known, quote-unquote, dirty address, mm-hmm. we can block it and report it. Because, we- essentially, all the regulators care about is there's a SAR report filed and that it's actually much more effective that way.
1: It, which is really interesting because I think that goes against the perception that oh well, crypto is anonymous. Um, what you're saying is the public network may be, but there are exchanges that can KYC and still work with regulators.
0: Um, I mean, nothing is anonymous. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's sort of the lesson that we take away if, in this world. It's like you have a phone, you have a, you log in somewhere, that IP becomes public, right? Yeah. There is that IP is linked. Then if that IP is linked to that. Uh, cryptocurrency address, then law enforcement can basically take that data and go dig on sort of the, the, the actual individual behind it. So, so I think, so, so, so I think um, in a way, it's anonymous in a way that uh, you don't know your personal identifiable information, but it's not non-anonymous in a way that they can always track you.
1: So, what about the flip side of that? What about privacy? If there is a record of all of these transactions, how do we maintain privacy as we go into a world in which there is a public record of, of a whole bunch of transactions?
0: Um, I think that's the challenge. Uh, I, mean, I think privacy is... Because is, so, um, fina- I think financial data has never been really private, right? Because uh, any banks, anybody that works in this room that deals with regulators knows that the data you have on any financial transaction have to be kept for X amount of years, five years, 10 years, right? Yeah. So, um, so f- that's that same in this industry.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how that continues to evolve. And I guess um speaking of evolving, I'm I'm interested in how you see uh the sort of this ongoing tension between uh that privacy and security in, in the next two to three years and how you see the role of Binance evolving in the next two to three years. Do you see uh that kind of uh, privacy security debate uh increasing in the wake of sort of Cambridge Analytica and, and the concerns about privacy?
0: Mm-hmm. Um I mean I, I think um it's the, the key about privacy is that uh, it's less about the disclosure, uh, or it's, not, it's less about the, the public nature of data. It's about who owns your data. Mm-hmm. It's about ownership, right? Because I think if privacy is right, it's just as money, right? I own my own money, but my money sits within third-party institutions that are caretakers of my money, right? My, privacy, my data sits now with the big tech companies, <laughs> right, and there are no rules about how they caretake my data. That's right? really think, interesting. So, 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 so for example, so I think if you sort of like put money and privacy rights and property rights are all sort of the same thing because they're mine and I own them and I control it um, and I control who can see it and I control who I share it with, I think that's really, really key, that's- right? And where money comes in is that now with blockchain, with, with cryptocurrency, I can control my own money.
1: And right. uh, does the money you control have to compete with sort of fiat money? Does it have to compete? You know, is it Bitcoin versus the central banks? Or, or is this stuff all going to kind of come together in the future?
0: Um, it, I, I think there's many different views on what Bitcoin is. I think the easiest way for the people from finance, or at least for me to understand it, is that I view cryptocurrency and Bitcoin as a whole as an asset class, mm-hmm. right? And, and that gives me a good reference point on this asset class will grow and become more popular and will increase... And value, theory, like correlation-wise, right? But but I think um, but I think that doesn't really compete, like because, and where does fiat sit in all of this, right? Fiat are basically central government printed currencies, right? But but one of the really unique things is that um, there's a new asset class that's growing within crypto. If you look at cryptocurrency as a whole, the fastest growing asset class within cryptocurrency mm-hmm. is this thing called stablecoins, right? Mm-hmm. And all stablecoins are are cash backed or fiat backed. Cryptocurrencies, right? They're right now, the more popular ones are US dollar backed, right? USDT, TUSD, USDC, uh, Pax, and and, and th- these that asset class um, are uh, are what has allowed Binance to trade, right? Because we don't have to deal with fiat. Now we can use these stable coins uh, to trade, so we don't have to deal with a lot of the headaches that comes uh, a lot of the I would say frictions that comes with fiat. And, and I think for stable coins is really interesting because for Binance we 're exploring uh, uh, we are encouraging companies to explore the binance chain uh, to launch their stable coins or launch their crypto and and because uh, because of the fast and, and sort of cheap nature of it in terms of transferring but and binance itself we're working with um, uh, different parties to uh, to look at one uh, GBP British pound uh, stable coin right now oh wow yeah
1: I, I think stablecoins is an interesting one because people always talk about the volatility of crypto being being mm-hmm. why it could never be used mm-hmm. to get mass adoption. So is the volatility a bad thing and and necessarily? And does um, does stablecoin solve for some of that?
0: Uh, I mean, stablecoins. There's uh, and then I go back to one word that I used before, which is use case. Mm-hmm. Stablecoin has many use cases for an exchange. The use case uh, for people that trade on exchanges. Stablecoin is a way where they can park their assets without having to deal with the daily volatilities in mm-hmm. Bitcoin right or, or other crypto assets or bnb or bitcoin cash or Litecoin. within stablecoin they know at least a dollar is a dollar right? right. or a pound is a pound so they, they they can park it there and move it back when they see an opportunity they can move it back into crypto and enjoy the volatility if they're if they you know, if their algos or their personal judgment is that way and that's just one use case for an exchange perspective if you t- speak to some of the uh if you speak to some of the um, uh, I would say some of the stablecoin companies. I mean, they're working with large international corporates in terms of how to use stablecoins in terms of global commerce, in terms of trading, right? Because then it's still a dollar. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just that now the companies, they, uh, the company themselves can uh, do global transfers amongst them, uh, do an intro, internal company transfer, right? Um, without having to basically go through six different banks. And having to, so like, did you get the wire yet? Did you get the wire yet? Here's the wire notice. Did you get it yet? Six hours later, you get the wire, right? Whereas for Slipper Coins, here's my record. This is the address I send it. Um, 10 seconds, 30 seconds later, here's the money in your
1: address. And do you think... banks will uh, increasingly start to adopt this stuff? Because we've seen a lot of PR around, you know, that they're, they're going to do a thing, they've done a pilot and a POC and not the institutions coming to crypto or are they going to do DLT because there's this DLT versus sort of crypto narrative? Yeah,
0: I mean, um, there's the, and I, I, there's the private blockchain which is what JP Morgan is doing with the JPM coin right? they're building on the Quorum blockchain which is a private network that they're going to try to do, basically have their own internal stable coin that's going to do settlements amongst the JPM and their clients, right? And then you have the public public um, you have companies that are working with public chain like IBM's work with like six different banks to build on the stellar chain blockchain and then you also have um, and then so, so I think um, these things don't compete with the central bank per se right because these are the money doesn't really leave the ecosystem doesn't leave the system they still sit within a bank it's just that there there's this there's a, a cryptocurrency that's been issued based on the assets that sit in these banks and I just think there's going to be more of it and then different banks Banks could do it themselves if they wanted to uh, and figure out how, to help, how it's gonna help their business. But third parties with a lot of money sitting on a bank can also issue it themselves and help their own businesses.
1: It's super interesting that you don't see that as competitive to what you're doing at Binance. It's sort of kind of meeting in the middle.
0: Yeah, I mean, so sort of where we're uniquely positioned is we're a marketplace, mm. right? <laughs> when you, the more tokens there have, there, there needs to be a marketplace. Marketplace has existed in the history of like, you need a place, we go to the market, how do, I, how do I change my one product for this one product, right? And, 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 I, and I think we just wanna be the, the world's marketplace for tokens.
1: Brilliant, and what's coming next for Binance? Uh,
0: I, I think one of the key things that we really wanna focus on is uh, getting more uh, projects to look at the Binance chain and looking to, uh, you know, uh, for me, I'm here talking to different parties to help them to educate on what the Binance chain is and how you can issue stable coins on the Binance chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we, uh, we have a fiat exchange in Europe uh, Binance Jersey that's listed uh, right now. It's basically euros and pounds. You can trade Bitcoin and Ether, but we're going to add uh, BNB and future, you know, a few more currencies to that as well.
1: We oui, thank you so much for joining me on stage today.
0: No, oh, thank you very much, Simon.
1: Thank you.